All right, so thanks for joining us this evening. Joining us on Zoom, we have uh, Cynthia, Joe, Rannigan, and Mark. And here at Wilton tonight, we have John and Randy and Don and Keith and two uh, visitors, Anita from the uh, Cleveland Buddhist Temple has joined us for the evening and she brought a friend. Now, Nellie, okay. No, and Aaron was here, but as always, he's he's off to, uh, to, to take care of medical school <laughs> matters, which are ever present. So uh, we start tonight with uh, the section from Radical Dharma titled, The Language of Love. And I think the way I'd like to begin this, since we've been looking, taking a, a deep look at this uh, matter of love over the last few talks as uh, as our three authors of Radical Dharma have been uh, bringing that to the forefront after a sometimes angry opening to the text, uh, kind of exposing us to this world of inequality and injustice. But now uh, they turn to the healing side, making a a very clear point that anger is not the way to, to, to deal with the afflictions that society is facing. In fact, last week, uh, a term was introduced, transformative social change. And to be truly transformative, it needs to be based in love. If it's based in anger, it's not gonna be transformative. It's gonna be more of the same old. Just change the, cast, the, the leading roles, you know, uh, but, but the basic storyline remains very much the same. So what I wanted to start with tonight is taken from uh, a concert that I attended this past Sunday evening at Tri-C Metro. There was a jazz performance uh, led by Chris Coles, a local tenor saxophonist of, uh, who's, who's quite accomplished. And the work that they performed was a composition by Chris uh, called Nine Lives. It went for about an hour, so it was the entire program. And, and the work was for jazz ensemble. It was about an eight piece ensemble, I think. Uh, and, but also included at various parts, spoken word, a dancer, uh, graphic arts that were projected onto a screen above the stage. And the, the, the work was divided into four sections. And the, the one-page program 
that they handed out there had uh, some narrative for each of the sections. And what I wanted to share with you is the final section, which he titled New Birth. Because uh, the, the work was, was dedicated to and inspired by the mass killing that took place in 2015 at the church in Charleston, South Carolina. So it was, as, as you would expect, given the, uh, the theme, it was a powerful performance, but you get to the last section, new birth. And this is what he, the paragraph that he wrote describing this concluding section of the work. He says, when confronted by hatred, one mustn't hasten to respond with an approximated judgment of what justice is. If you're not careful, justice actually looks like vengeance. Hammurabi said, an eye for an eye. To me, the world looks blind. I propose something new. Let's not just forgive those who do hateful things. Let's also live our lives to honor those that lost their lives in this perilous fight with every decision we make from this point forward. We can't eliminate suffering. It's a key component of the human condition, but we can help each other through it. And maybe in the process of helping them, we free ourselves. So could have been written by Angel Williams or <laughs> Rod Owens or Jasmine Somalia. The basic sentiment is there. So the Dharma spoken in radical Dharma is not a uniquely Buddhist Dharma. Important to to maybe remember that, uh, that it wouldn't be Dharma then. Dharma is universal. It's, no one tradition has a monopoly on that. In fact, all the traditions have it within them. So it's always uh, a joy for me to find it so so wonderfully expressed by someone outside of our Buddhist tradition. So, and, and then the other thing I wanted to mention uh, in connection with love comes from uh, a, a recent opera that was kind of a big deal because it was the first time in the history of the Metropolitan Opera, our, our big opera house, uh, that, that a work was, uh, an opera was performed there that was composed by a black person. Never happened before. Finally, in the year 2021, <laughs> it happened. Terrence Blanchard, who happens to be a jazz musician. So I'm very familiar with Terrence. 
over many, many years. But uh, he composed an opera that was based on uh, memoirs by Charles Blow, the uh, New York Times columnist. And the title of it is Fire Caught Up in My Bones. And it describes uh, an experience, a traumatic experience he had in his childhood. I think he was either seven or nine at the time. And an older cousin sexually abused him. And he carried this around with him throughout his life, never telling anybody. So in the concluding sections of the opera, he finally confides in, in two people. And the, and the first two people he confides in are people that he has very, a very strong loving relationship with. One was his uh, first love affair, which unfortunately, wasn't reciprocated. He wouldn't find out until after he shared with her this, uh, this experience that he had had. So that was pretty devastating for him. And then the second person he shared it with was his mother, who of course you know, embraced him. And this, the language of love, the title of this section, you know, it's really about, we talk in, in Buddhism and Zen about being present with and being there to, to share these things. That's really the language of love. Not all the sappy lyrics that are, are ever present but real love. And it's not just for particular individuals. It is universal. We've talked about agape, agape love, Christianity, loving kindness in Buddhism. And how essential it is because as Chris Cole says, there is suffering. We need to be able to come together and share that suffering. So we don't have to carry it as a personal burden. We don't have to. So I think that's an important part, although it's, unwritten part, I think, of the text in Radical Dharma is you know, they are eliciting this from the white sanghas, primarily, that they're uh, taking this workshop to. And one of the outcomes of that is they receive this love by sharing suffering. Suffering that in our society may not always be clear to everybody. 
And maybe in future years, it'll become even less clear. Time will tell with <laughs> all the, uh, the furor going on over things like critical race theory or the really <laughs> the 1619 project, the book, <laughs> finally out, released this past Tuesday. Whew. I could have my house firebombed if people knew. <laughs> this is pretty controversial. <laughs> well, the, the title comes from the year 1619, which was when the first shipment of slaves arrived in Jamestown, New York. That was part of our first colony. So. It's very expansive, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so this this thing that radical dharma is about, about the impact of injustice, and right along that. Another text that I just finished, as you, most of you know, I've been doing an awfully deep dive with this subject. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it kind of calls for it to my mind. So this one is titled Black Skin, White Masks. And the author was well known to me, France Fanon. He's best known for the other book he wrote in his very short life, The Wretched of the Earth. I remember having that as a, a book to read in one of my classes as a, a college student. So this, this is a take predominantly from, from the standpoint of, of European colonialism, especially French colonialism. But uh, I get these sections correctly here. Make sure I get the right pages. I think I can wing it probably. Third out here. Yeah. Yeah, he, he talks about how I am my own foundation. It is by going beyond the historical and instrumental given that I initiate my cycle of freedom. So he's not limited by the historical circumstances that surrounded the fact that he was born black. And the instrumental uh, 
aspect of life in that kind of a historical scenario. The fact that it changes very dramatically how how he interacts with others and denies his humanity. He says, may man never be instrumentalized. May the subjugation of man by man cease. And then he, he goes on to say, the black man is not no more than the white man. Both have to move away from the inhuman voices of their respective ancestors so that a genuine communication can be born because they're boxed into their kind of definition of white and black. The thing that gets many people very disturbed this notion that, that our society carries this built into its structure. They don't want to hear that. And finally, in the closing section, he says superiority, inferiority. Why not simply try to touch the other, feel the other, discover each other? Was my freedom not given me to build the world of you, man? And finally, definitely a, a point for our times. Always make me a man who questions. The second uh, awakening factor, investigation of dhammas, <laughs> the importance of it. Be a person who asks questions. It's one of the ways that we can manifest this love that we're, we're talking about. is to question why things are as they are. Why do we treat this group of people differently? And anytime that arises for us to step back. Now, 20 years ago, we went through that with people from the Middle East or that practice the Muslim tradition. So it's always there, it can be triggered. But in the case of racial injustice, it really is since 1619, 402 years now. It's a long time. It does kind of get baked into your society. It shouldn't be any great su surprise. Shouldn't be all that controversial.
So to come back then to uh, to finish our, our look at this section of radical dharma, the one titled The Language of Love, uh, it's said that the theory of transformative social change was designed to do exactly what bell hooks, we talked about her last week, what bell hooks speaks of, to unite theory and practice. Or for us in our Buddhist uh, vernacular, we might call it Dharma and practice. Or Prajna and practice or prajna and compassion to unite those because they really are one and the same. Prajna without compassion, loving kindness is really just thoughts in our head. We have some beautiful thoughts and that's a nice thing, but they're not being embodied. They're not being enacted. So this is the the union, had to get union in <laughs> the union of, of theory and practice. Providing, uh, she calls it an identifiable yet adaptive uh, concrete yet flexible, rigorous, yet permeable path to breaking with dominator culture through direct experience, which means through practice, our direct experience, our, our day in, day out living experience. To be adaptive, to be flexible, to be permeable means it is coming into interaction with our experience rather than just being held as some kind of frozen truth that really is separate from. But it's, it's permeable, it's flexible because it's part of this interaction that's taking place. So our, our ideas, our theories need to be flexible to meet reality. Otherwise, we can kind of become crazy, <laughs> lose touch of reality. And that's never a good thing. And that makes it very difficult to speak the language of love when you're kind of out of touch with reality. So the uh, final section of this chapter is titled, Where's the Love? And and now, they speak about white supremacy, how it's programmed and in a, in a manner of speaking, policed white people 
as to who and how they could love. Determining entire groups of people unworthy of, of love. And that has impacted the way our culture, our society, our political system has evolved down to the current age and is still unfolding in front of us. Almost daily, there are more news pieces showing up about these these, uh, racial injustices being committed, being recognized and addressed from the past. There's still an awful lot of work to be done. And that means as we come back to time and time again, this notion of of staying with the suffering, staying with the trouble, not turning away from it, because it's there regularly. So where's the love? That's where it needs to be. Just like in the case of Charles Blow needing to find the love when he could finally give expression to the trauma he had experienced. It's these events that the love needs to respond to, the compassion. But before that can happen, we have to be there, open to it, to hearing it, to experiencing it with the person who is suffering. Experience it with them. And a very important point gets made in this section, that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. How else could the imaginably decent moral ordinary white people stand to live in proximity, much less partake in open market slavery for 250 years, especially in the Southern states where where slavery remained in place right up until the end of the Civil War. It was still in place 
in the northern colonies for some years after the founding of, of our nation. <laughs> that was, it was some time. It was throughout the uh, first decade or two of the uh, 19th century that slavery started to become abolished in, in northern states. So the indifference that would have to be in place for people to walk by an auction block where humans are being sold, children separated from their parents, husbands and wives separated from one another. Indifference. kind of like experience in Germany during the Third Reich. To allow one's children to witness the sale and degradation of other human bodies. Because as we know, we have a natural innate compulsion to feel compassion. So it's no small thing to be able to, to completely cover that over and to be able to turn a blind eye, to not respond to that natural feeling that arises. So I wanted to share just a short section from Radical Dharma now. So all of this has occurred while white folks gained from the resulting wealth, presumption of entitlement to fare better than colored people, and most insidiously, a belief that meritocracy has been at work all along, shielding them behind a cloak of ignorance and innocence while they cash their spoils at the bank. For generation upon generation, white America has traded its humanity for privilege. You know, this topic of white privilege, which is uh, very much uh, spoken about and studied in our time. And uh, Cynthia has arranged for, uh, and Rannigan, I think this was the same, you, you both participated in this program a couple of people were doing on uh, on the, this subject of white privilege in three weeks. And I ha have them coming on a Saturday rather than a Thursday, because usually Saturday we draw more people, although <laughs> maybe by that point in time, 
you never know. <laughs> Some Thursdays we're, we're pleasantly surprised. Uh, but I wanted this to reach as many people as possible. They're going to come in uh, and and speak to us that uh, that day. And I don't know for sure whether it's going to be in person or if they're going to zoom it in. But either way, we will have them making a presentation to us on this subject of white privilege. So we'll be uh, in three weeks' time. Uh, I, I don't know their names. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not recognizable. I don't <laughs> so, so I didn't bother writing them down to, yeah. yeah. They're from uh, Federated Church. Okay. Okay. They have ongoing classes there through their social justice group on white privilege. And they keep um, improving the curriculum from what I understand. Okay, great, great. Yeah, so we'll, we'll uh, be taking a, a deeper look at that uh, shortly. And you know, as, as part of what I've been laying out here is the fact that uh, love for one another across lines of difference uh, becomes taboo for, for so many of us over the course of so many years. Just not to even have any concern or any dealings with. It was literally taboo. Didn't do that. So as a result, it's kind of been stultifying for us. It's prevented people from really knowing how to apply love in the greater sphere of society. Because there are these pockets. You don't go there. That's excluded. So we've all been di diminished along with society at large as a result. Which makes this work that's currently underway so important. Can we change that? And it just doesn't seem like it's going to change on its own. We just kind of sit back and let things evolve. We need to become actively engaged, which is what they were all about with putting out this book, with going around visiting different Buddhist centers to get people engaged. And that all begins with recognizing the situation. And then bringing, bringing that understanding and our Dharma uh, understanding into practice, make it real in the world. 
in ways big and small, just in everyday interactions. So I think I'm going to stop here because that gets us into the next section where we actually get into the workshop stuff. Uh, we'll pick up there in two weeks. It's next Thursday. Uh, we're going to take a, a Thursday off <laughs> in honor of, of uh, maybe the, uh, the most Buddhist of all the holidays, Thanksgiving. So I... I claim that as a Buddhist holiday. <laughs> so let me plug in our speaker microphone so I can include the folks there. All right, the speaker's on. Yeah. As you were talking about this, and as I was looking at that book, I know the Fuhrer it's caused. And it, it strikes me how dangerous a message this is to so many people. Yeah. I mean, what first thing I thought of is, yeah, well, that's what Jesus taught. Guess what happened to him? <laughs> right. And I thought about Martin Luther King and Gandhi and, and plenty of other folks through history. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I need to think for a while about why, why is it such a threat? Why something that seems the opposite is so threatening? Yeah. Well, and I think it begins with the fact that they don't have any kind of notion what this is because oh. they they don't they don't investigate. Yeah, I, I, I totally. There there have been any number of people who went out on the street and there were late night people talking about critical race theory, right, and trying to get people to tell them what it is, and they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea. So that makes fertile ground to make it anything you want it to be. <laughs> so I mean, that would be the first suggestion is it becomes required reading. <laughs> After you get your required vaccination, now this is your next vaccination. <laughs> We're on a roll here. We're going to keep this going. <laughs> Roll up your sleeve. <laughs> that one's a lot harder than the shot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I just wanted to make, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I, I wanted to make a comment about, um, 
I, I'm so thankful that you talked about the, the opera and the story that it conveys about um, uh, sexual, you know, about sexual abuse to kids. And um, I wanted to make mention of a film I saw, and it, it doesn't have to do with race per se, but it, it's about sexual abuse, and it was so profound and so wonderfully conveyed. It's called Patrick Melrose, and it's um, a true story, but Benedict Cumberbatch uh, plays the person who um, is profoundly uh, affected by sexual abuse uh, mm -hmm. that he experienced by his father at a very young age. And he can, it, it, he conveys it so well. I hope he gets an award for it. Um, it's, you can stream it. But um, adding, I, I, I just think it's wonderful that you pulled in all of the other arts that um, give meaning to the wisdom that, um, we can be exposed to, and that through music and opera, I love opera, um, I think that's a wonderful thing. So I wanted to say thank you for um, talking about that. Can you re repeat what you said? Oh, yeah, it's about uh, a film uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays a character who was sexually abused by his father. So it kind of echoes the Charles Blow story. Yeah. You're probably increase your volume. Her up more. I should be at 100% because that's where I can. It's based, on, it's based on a true story, and the author wrote a book about it. He's a British author. And he wrote a book about his life. And he was went through every addiction you can imagine um, before he finally pulled his life together. Um, and he never told anyone what happened until pretty far into the story. No one ever knew. Uh, it, was, it was not until after his father died that he was able to admit, open up, it. It's a very painful, but um, it, it knocked my socks off because he, he did it so well. So um, it's a phenomenal film. So the uh, closing chant we do, hopefully if you look in the back pocket of your chant book, you'll find chant books because we Oh that's right. <laughs> oh <laughs> I can pass it off. Uh, <laughs> no, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, we're no rush. We're actually finishing. It's 8.59. Wow.
Ah, super, pessoal. <risos>